either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Zoinks. We've stumbled into a mystery about what's good this week. I've been working on that. Can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we're going to start, guess where? With Scooby and the gang facing their most challenging mystery ever. Well, that's debatable. A plot to unleash a ghost dog upon the world. It's called Scoob. Hey! Uh, this mangy stray's coming with me. He's not a stray. Okay, then. What's his name? His name's... Scooby. Middle name. Doobie. Last name. Do. <laughs> I'm Fred. This is Velma. Hi. And that's Daphne. Hey. I'm Shaggy. And this is Scooby Doo. Nice to meet you. Maybe this can lead us to Scooby and Shaggy. Trace amounts of mustache oil, 12 year old scotch. Ugh. Is the bad guy my dad? <laughs> even think that is the plot i know well the first thing the first bit of good news is there's no scrappy do for me that's well, i need to know that right away because then i know what we're dealing with so there's no <laughs> scrappy so that's a positive but you know it, it seems like it's aimed obviously at at kids of today today's mm-hmm. kids but at the same time they want to throw enough I'm not going to say bones, throw enough references and homages and callbacks and characters so that the the parents, the older generation who remembers Scooby-Doo as kids, the classic Scooby-Doo, still enjoys it. And I'm, I'm, I'm really not sure they hit either mark, to tell you the truth. No. So here's, I mean, one of the things about that idea, right, is that in the age of Internet and cartoon networks, kids still watch Scooby-Doo. Little kids still watch Scooby-Doo. Actually, in in the last week or so, I found out more of them do than I realized. Oh, yeah, little kids do still watch Scooby-Doo. And and for good reason, as you know, as you well know, I mean, Scooby-Doo is to me what the Flintstones are to you. I love that show. I watched it religiously. I had a Mystery Machine lunchbox. I wanted to grow up to be Velma. And, you know, uh, like all good-hearted people, I realize that Velma is the heart and soul of that mystery-solving group. Because what is Freddy? He just drives. He mansplains. He takes credit. The, uh, Daphne just falls down a lot. Scooby and Shaggy, useless. <laughs> it's all Velma. But I, the point is, this movie doesn't do justice to the true fans. And I, and I think, like you're saying, it's trying to do something by tossing in a ton of cameo Hanna-Barbera characters all over the place. But in every case, it changes them in the same way that it changes the beloved Scooby-Doo crew. Yeah. So that they, they're not, they don't resemble your childhood. And they don't really seem good now either. I do have definitely have some Scooby-Doo love from when I was a kid. I, I really do. Not as much as you do. But I do. And there are moments, there are a few moments of nice self-awareness in this movie. Like, I really like the little speech by the the girl who's working at the bowling alley. Yes. That was a nice little self-awareness. Okay, I get that. And there's a couple of other moments like that. And you do have a prologue at the beginning that is very much like a classic Scooby-Doo mystery. It only lasts about two minutes. Right. And that's the problem. Because I think people like us, and maybe even some kids that that like it, like the old episodes now, want that classic type of Scooby-Doo mystery. Not going off into space and and some plot about, and I'm not kidding, Alexander the Great. (laughs) 
What? Well, that's the thing, right, is that it comes off like one of those episodes where pe- characters from another show show up. So it's... Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's the it's the Dino Mutt. You see, that's Blue where Falcon. it lost me. I didn't even know those characters. I, I didn't yeah. know nothing about them. I, I, that's the thing is that they're not they're Hanna Barbera cartoon characters, but they certainly are not anywhere near as popular as the Scooby Doo cartoon characters, and for a reason. So Dino Mutt and Blue Falcon show up, and we get their villains, right? Dick Dastardly. And uh, Muttley. Muttley. I do like Muttley. Yeah, I do I too. Have to say. I, I always like Muttley because he laughed just like my dad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so they show up, and then what basically happens is, instead of like in the old in the old episodes where like the Harlem Globetrotters would yeah. visit the set, <laughs> yeah. and then they'd all wind up right. in a mystery together. Instead, the Scooby Doo gang ends up in a Blue Falcon episode. Right. Boo. It's just not very Scooby-Doo. It's just yeah, not. It's not really satisfying for anyone. Um, we should say some of the all-star voices, uh, Will Forte is shaggy. No. Uh, you know what? No. Um, you wanted to bring back Matthew Lillard. Because he has still yeah. been doing yeah. four. So this movie was, it's the same director who has done the last four or five direct-to-video full-length Scooby-Doo features. Mm-hmm. And this one was not supposed to be, of course it is now, direct-to-video, but it wasn't supposed to be. It was supposed to be a theatrical release. And the the group of voices that he has had for all of his has been a bunch of nobodies, although Natalie from Facts of Life was on it for no oh, reason. Mindy Cohn. Mindy yeah. Cohn was the voice of Elma. But Matthew Lillard has been the voice of Shaggy ever since the ever since the live action ones. And now it's Will Forte and I just don't think he's as good. And you've got Mark Wahlberg as Blue Falcon. Yeah. Uh, can- Ken, He's really Blue Falcon's son, Brian. That's right. I'm sorry. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Blue Falcon Jr. Ken Jong is... Dino Mutt. Dino Mutt. And then, let's see, Velma is Gina Rodriguez, mm-hmm. right? Daphne is Amanda Seyfried. Mm-hmm. And who... Freddie is Zac Efron. Oh, Zac Efron. Sure. So you've got some star voices there. But but here's the thing, and you know my rant. You know it's coming. You, <laughs> you mentioned the Flintstones. Going back, because I was very excited, I'm a huge fan of the Flintstones, as, huge. She, as she said. And going back to that first live-action Flintstones movie with uh, John Goodman, mm-hmm. I thought this at the time, and I think this every time one of these movies comes up, why don't they just go back and take a great episode of the original cartoon and expand it and make that a movie. There are some great Flintstones episodes. There are some great Scooby-Doo episodes. That's right. Just make that you know, and your if you, story. If you want to do a crossover, you know, you could have done the uh, the um, Ichabod Crane. That was a really the Headless Horseman Scooby-Doo. Yeah. That was this creepy one. And then, of course, there's the Swampy Bog of Louisiana. That's one of the great ones. There's the Ice Cream Factory. There's, I mean, there are countless just classic Scooby-Doo episodes. And I, I know I've also ranted before about how hard it is to take a 30 or 25 minute episode of TV and make it into an hour and a half movie. That is hard because you have to expand, you have to add filler, but at least you're starting from a better place. You're starting with a better story that is the core of what makes these franchises so popular. So if you take one of those great mysteries from Mm Scooby-Doo and start there... And that's your story, and then just expand it a little bit, maybe add some new characters. I think you'd have a better chance. Well, one of the things that's happened over the years is that, because I stuck it out. I stuck it out through the scrappy years, George. I stuck it out through the 13 ghosts of Scooby-Doo, where they were they were, they were were figuring out mysteries with the help of the, the head of Vincent Price. Vincent Price's disembodied <sighs> head was helping them I solve mysteries. I was long mysteries. gone. I'm sorry about that. No, it's true. And then, <laughs> and then all of these uh, the new feature-length 
ones that were direct to video. Uh, and in, and the thing that I hated about those, many of which, of course, the same director did produce, is that the they really were they weren't guys with masks on. They there really was a werewolf. They really were, and you right. know. And I remember thinking, well, that ain't right. Right. So I'm curious now if if that's just the thing. They're like, well, we can't just have it be a guy in a mask because everybody knows that that's what's going to happen because it's a Scooby Doo episode, and so they just go completely so what? off book. I know. All right. So it's not really satisfying for anybody. We don't think. No. But I'm still thinking it's probably going to have a nice week because it's a family film, yep. and much like Trolls World Tour, I think Trolls World Tour is better. But I wouldn't be surprised if this does well because Scooby-Doo has so many fans, yeah. young and old alike. And that is Scoob. Let's go in a completely, and I mean completely, different direction next. The 47-year-old Al Capone, after 10 years in prison, starts suffering from dementia and comes to be haunted by his violent past. It's Tom Hardy as Capone. Do you know what the difference is between Adolf Hitler and Al Capone? Hitler's dead. Capone lives like a king in Florida. He has full-blown dementia. I have reason to believe it could all be an elaborate act. What's this about? We have information that your client may have tucked away a very large sum of money. You can drop the act now. We made a promise. Someday we was gonna make it big. Let's start, though, by saying happy anniversary. Five years ago... Fury Road came out. Oh, man, what a great movie. Such a glorious When film. we did our countdown of our favorite movies of the last decade from 2010 to 2019, that was number one. Yes, it was. What a great, great movie. Flawless, really. Mm, loved it. So Tom Hardy, I, I can understand the excitement, as we had, for this movie. You think, Tom Hardy playing Al Capone, I am in. Right. And right away, you start thinking about all these cool scenes, and it's gangsters, and it's the, the 30s, and people. Well, we're here to tell you that... This is not that movie. We did like this movie, but this is not that movie. No, it, it isn't. And and I can definitely understand the excitement uh, uh, and, and because he's so good at being a badass. But I think that the reason he was interested in this version of this story is because it's actually more of an acting challenge. And it is a very, very weird movie. I totally agree. Totally agree. Because it's not an Al Capone that we have seen on screen before, at least that, that I'm aware of. No. Well, the, here's the other thing, right? We've been seeing Al Capone on screen in one way or other for a hundred years. That's insane. How many more times do we need to see him? So it's it's I I, I I thought it was very refreshing. But but again, like you're saying, if what you want is a mobster movie, well, that's not really what this is. No, this one picks up. He's out of prison. He's basically been left he'd been let out of prison because he's harmless now. Right. His body is riddled with syphilis, even though he's only in his late forties, and he's suffering dementia and he can't hold his bowels. And believe me, they let you see how much he can't hold his bowels. There's a lot of pants pooping. A lot of pants pooping. And and so a lot of times you're not quite sure if what he's seeing is real, and he's pretty much just holed up in his mansion yeah. uh, in his last days. And so it's a character study, but it's a way different kind of character study for this character. Yeah, because either you're seeing it through his point of view when he has dementia, so either it's not really happening. There there are many scenes where clearly it's not really happening. He's right. kind of struggling with his memories. And then there are other scenes where you're not quite sure if it's happening or not happening because he's not quite sure if it's happening or not happening. And then there are other times where, no, this is clearly the ugly reality <laughs> of the life with this man who has to have a carrot instead of a cigar now. <laughs> right. And, right. and the thing is that in lesser hands, it could have come off as... 
mockery. And I think because Hardy is so good at being repellent and still human. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons why his bad guys are so good that it doesn't feel like mockery to me. Although there's definitely a dark humor to the whole utterly bizarre film. And it, it may remind you in some instances of the later scenes of Don Vito Corleone from Godfather when he's old and close to death from Brando because I think there's so much of Tom Hardy that can remind you of Brando. Oh my God, yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, so you might be reminded a little bit there. It is writer-director Josh Trank who did Chronicle years he ago. Did, which That's was very good. Very fun. Then he sw- and swung and missed on the Fantastic Four. It was a big <laughs> swing and a big, big miss. But he's taking a big swing here, and this is a movie that is going to be very polarizing. And I think a a lot of it will depend upon the expectations you have coming in. Because if you have those expectations we talked about at the top there, about, oh, all right, Tom Hardy playing Al Capone, you're going to come out probably disappointed because that's, that's not what this is. But I think there is still... A lot to like here, a lot to respect here, and uh, that's why we liked it. We did. Yeah, and that's Capone. Next up, a film that's set in the twilight of the 1950s on one fateful night in New Mexico. A young switchboard operator, Faye, and charismatic radio DJ Everett discover a strange audio frequency that could change their small town and the future forever. It's the vast of night. 718 here at WOTW. We got a sound we'd like to play that seems to be bouncing around the valley tonight. Yes, I have a story that might be helpful. I can tell you what's going on. The sound we heard out in the desert. It was coming from thousands of feet higher than anything could fly. They've come here before. They've liked this place. They always have. Something's up there now. What's going on? There's something in the sky. I'm so surprised that you enjoyed a film about a charismatic radio operator. <laughs> this was a just a pleasant, pleasant surprise. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm surprised. I really didn't have any expectations because I didn't really know anything about it. Sure. But it's a first-time director, a smaller budget. And it's just wonderful. I, I just loved it. It is a sci-fi story. It's a, more of an homage to vintage sci-fi TV, really, because he sets the whole thing up with a little clip from Rod Serling in the uh, in the very beginning, and he sort of sets the whole thing up as an episode of something called Paradox Theater. And then he tells this story, uh, like you heard, set in the 1950s, and... Faye, the switchboard operator, just hears this strange sound interrupting Everett, the DJ's show, and tells him about it because they're friends, and then they try to investigate the source of this frequency, this noise, and they end up talking to some older members of the community who have stories, big, big stories to tell about aliens and what's going on, and so they head off into the New Mexico night trying to solve this mystery. And it's the first of all, the, the period detail, the production design, the sound design, just fantastic. The writing is smart. It ends up telling a sci-fi story that probably won't surprise you if you've seen any sci-fi at all, but the way it's handled is, is just charming from beginning to end. It's PG-13, but I think it'd be fine for families, especially if you have, I know right here in, in Columbus and Central Ohio, where, where we are, they're now opening up some of the drive-ins, and this one at least here where we are, is on the bill for the drive-ins this weekend, and it would be a perfect, 
perfect drive-in movie. Yeah, the, the fact of the matter is the movie doesn't open to streaming for another week. So right now, that's the only way you can see it, well, is if it's showing at one of your drive-ins. And so hopefully, again, hopefully as you're is, saying, yeah. it's perfect for that. It's it, so it's such an ideal choice. It really is. It's the first, first-time first director, too, uh, Andrew Patterson, written by James Montague and Craig W. Sanger. And the script is smart. And the presentation of it, not only the, as I mentioned, the, the, the production design, the sound design, the camera work, so confident, so assured, the way he moves the camera, sometimes keeps it still, others, everything about it is just so impressive. And in the end, it's, it's really a, a movie about listening. There's so much involved in this movie with listening. They're listening to the sound, but it's about listening to each other, listening to some ugly secrets of our past, and at the same time listening to the possibilities of the future, because this is back in 1950s, and so many of the characters are dreaming about what the future is going to be like. And so now we see that with the benefit of having lived that future. And it's a, it's just charming from beginning to end, and I loved it. And I would if, if you happen to be lucky enough to have it at your local drive-in, do check it out Definitely. because that would be a great, great experience and a great way to see it. If not, as you mentioned, it will be streaming in a couple of weeks and highly recommend The Vast of Night. <laughs> Next up, a movie that's set over the course of a decade as a young woman becomes increasingly dysfunctional due to undiagnosed mental illness or perhaps to drugs while her more stable friend sometimes tries to help, sometimes backs away to preserve herself. This one's called 14. Hey, what's going on here? We've been displaced, man. I mean, obviously she's pretty. She seems like trouble. She is trouble. She's definitely trouble, but guys usually like her. This is one that you can catch streaming from wexarts.org, and it is a fascinating, very loosely structured, observational kind of a film about friendship. And one of the things that I think is fascinating about it, it's, it's one of those sort of odd couple friends, mm-hmm. you know, and... But it's very alarmingly I th- realistic in the way that it looks at how you grow apart um, and how you you want to continue to love each other in a certain way. But at a certain point, as adulthood hits, mm-hmm. you, you think to yourself, this isn't right. right. And then you start to pull away because you have other things that you have to protect and yeah. deal with that you didn't have when you were when you were adolescent best friends. Tally Metal's performance is just wonderful as the the point of view character who is the more well sort of well adjusted well yeah. adjusted into, into friend yeah. exactly yeah. and her friend is the one who always was the attention getter always was the really sort of dynamic and enigmatic and interesting one. But more and more, she's sort of unhinged. And you realize that that there is something just very unhealthy about her and about her dependence upon her friend. Yeah, this is this is writer-director Dan Sallett. And it's one of those, as you see it go along, it reminds you of that old adage about, you know, these people that they constantly have a problem with other people. And, you know... If if that happens enough, maybe it's you. Yeah. You know? It's a really sad film in its own way. But the, the performances, the the relationship and the rapport is really is very, very realistic and a little bit fearless, I think, in that way. And I and I just thought it was uh very well put together, a really solid film. Yeah, another recommendation for fourteen. 
Let's go to Netflix next. Tim thinks he's invited the woman of his dreams on a work retreat to Hawaii, realizing too late he mistakenly texted someone from a nightmare blind date. It's called The Wrong Missy. <laughs> Missy, what are you doing here? That text from you was wonderful. I screwed up so huge. Remember that crazy blind date I had? Nothing you could ever do would disappoint me. I love you. This one from I thought I was texting my dream girl. I was texting that crazy girl. To the best weekend ever. <laughs> the wrong movie. The wrong movie. This is the latest from Happy Madison Productions. So even though Adam Sandler is not in this movie, that's his production company. And the track record of Happy Madison is not good. And this one bears that out. What you can expect is a bunch of his friends, David Spade, Rob Schneider, Nick Swarsden, the usual gang, they pretty much just get together and they have a good time at the expense of an audience. This is, I don't know if I laughed once. Maybe I chuckled once or twice. This movie is awful. It is. And the thing is, it, you know, you can always, uh, I think, see the likelihood that uh, a Happy Gilmore movie might be at all good, depending on which one of. Because Sandler's not in it. Chris Rock is not in it. You know, none of the even top tier team members are in it. It's all bench players, and they're on the bench for a reason. <laughs> yeah, it's so awkward, it's so annoying, and, and just unfunny. Yeah. Just, even even David Spade, and he can be funny. He can. He seems like he's sleepwalking through this whole thing. Yes. He really does. Let's just get this over with. Let's get our paychecks. Plus, he's miscast, you know, he as is, like yeah. the, like the put-upon nice guy. That's, that's not really his strong suit. And the woman who plays his Nightmare Blind Date, Lauren Lapkus, I guess she's from some TV shows that we haven't seen. I see some talent there. Yeah. It's just that her shtick with this character is so over-the-top, man. A little goes a long way, yeah. and it, it gets uh, ingratiating really, really quickly. Yeah, a big old pass. on. Uh, in fact, I said earlier this morning uh, on TV that if I had to choose between watching this movie again and getting poked in the eye with a sharp stick, I'd have to think about it <laughs> for a little while. Because I will say, though, it's not as bad. If we talk about Happy Madison Productions, the low bar for me is still That's My Boy. Right. Oh, yeah. this is still not as bad as That's My Boy. So there, put that on your poster. <laughs> Let's go from Netflix to Shudder next as a loyal subject of the king in 1500s Korea struggles to fight against a monster. Whoa, it's called Monstrum. I enjoy a good creature feature. Yeah. You know what? I even enjoy those creature features when it's just a pus-covered giant puppet. I don't care. You shouldn't either. So uh, this is a this is actually a pretty fun film. It is not a masterpiece by any stretch. If you go in expecting the host, you will come out disappointed. But it's uh, it looks good. It's set in, as you said, 1500s Korea. The costuming is pretty fun. The way that the sort of ragtag band is, it always has to happen. The way that they're set up, the way that the, the personalities bounce off each other works out very well. Mm -hmm. Plus you throw in Parasites, Woosik Choi yeah. as the, uh, the young man who is beguiled by K-pop star who uh K-pop is all over Shutter recently. It is really and she <laughs> and she's a completely anachronistic, you know, girl power right. adolescent girl, but I don't care. I yeah. mean, I'm bu I'm buying this massive boiled pus covered monster. <laughs> Why can't I believe that we've got a very strong savvy young woman at the center of it? I can. I'm happy to actually. 
we love Shudder. We love that uh, we have a nice partnership with Shudder. And some of their originals are hit and miss, let's be honest. But this one, if you have Shudder, by all means, check it out. I it's think pretty fun. A, yeah, a lot to enjoy there. Monstrum. And that takes us to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. I feel like pretty soon the lobby is going to be empty. We're going to run out of theatrical releases Nothing to on the come shelves. out. That's exactly. Right. <laughs> That's right. But we're getting to the last couple. Uh, Birds of Prey comes out on DVD. That's one that we really enjoyed so much more than we thought we were going to because we really didn't care for Suicide Squad. But I thought Birds of Prey was a ton of fun. Oh, absolutely. And, I, you know, also I thought the trailer was awful. Like, the trailer gave both of us just pain. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I enjoyed just about everything about Birds of Prey. It was a hoot. I did, too. Just a, a big old hoot. And also the photograph is out featuring two ridiculously good-looking people. <laughs> um, it shouldn't be shouldn't be allowed. <laughs> Lakeith Stansfield and Issa Rae. And they, they look beautiful in this movie. It is a really gorgeously <laughs> shot, but very predictable romance. And if that's what you feel like, if that's what you're in the mood for, by all means. It is not a great movie. It's not a bad one either. All right. So looking ahead to next week, Dalai Lama Scientist. Let me guess. Action hero. <laughs> The Dalai Lama. Big hitter, I've heard about the Lama. Long. (laughs) Also, military wives. Now, that sounds like if you just throw a little more, like, military wives unhinged, that's a lifetime (laughs) movie title. (laughs) Killer babysitter, something like that. The Painter and the Thief comes out next week. Inheritance and Villain. So, boy, I know very little about all those movies. (laughs) You should pay attention. I should. I should pay attention. I think I should listen to this podcast and learn a few things. Until then, let us know what you thought about Scoob, or maybe if you caught uh, lucky enough to catch the Vast of Night at a uh, drive-in. That'd be fantastic. Keep the conversation going. We love to talk movies. Easiest way to get a hold of us is on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it is Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can catch all of our written reviews and also our horror movie only podcast. And the brand new one this week is all about our favorite jump scares. It's a good one. You know you want to know what our top ten jump scares are. You can check that out. It's called Fright Club. Find that, uh, all that stuff on the main website, which is madwolf.com. So until next week, we always appreciate you stopping by the screening room. Do us a favor, if you would, and subscribe, rate, and review. Yeah, we always appreciate that. Until next time, be well. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.